Welcome to the Citizens of Life podcast. I am your host, Anya Hildreth. I am a thriving single biracial mom who grew up as a third culture kid who balances being an engineer, raising two kids, an integrative wellness life coach, and podcast host. I also live with type 1 diabetes and Hashimoto's disease. My passion is helping stressed out, overworked single moms navigate and balance their personal and professional lives a process of empowerment I call becoming a citizen of life. Each week, I'll be discussing and interviewing professionals from around the world that I've gotten to know on topics involving our mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. I hope these conversations will inspire you to create your own unique integrative wellness journey to healing in order to be the citizen of your own life. So grab your notebook, a pen, Have an open mind and an open heart, and let's get started. Hi, citizens. This is your host, Anya Hildreth, and you are listening to the Citizens of Life podcast. And today we are talking with a wellness practitioner, Akila Collins, about what is energy or Reiki healing and how our bodies are magnets for the goodness we're trying to receive. Reiki is just one tool that I use to listen to my body, and it's one of my favorites, but it helps me get back into balanced and feel balanced for longer periods of time. Let's face it, with the challenges we moms have, it's not hard to get knocked off track. Having the right tools to quickly get you back on track is not only helpful, but sustainable towards living a balanced life. Akila calls it dust busting the energy pathways, a way to clear any blocks, open up the energy meridians, and therefore opening up the energy in you at a greater level. We also talk about the difference between energy healing and chakra balancing. They are very similar as they both work with energy, but different too. So check out this interview with the mesmerizing Akila Collins. She will explain energy in such a beautiful way and her intellect around the subject will have you curious for more. Akila Collins is a holistic practitioner, traditional naturopath, and the founder and owner of QT Wellness, an integrative practice offering self-care approaches to vibrant health. She is formally educated in women's studies, coaching, energy healing, birth support, plant medicines, and womb care. Over the past two decades, Akila has helped thousands of individuals activate healing and improve quality of life. Currently, she teaches Reiki and pelvic care. She's an assistant professor at the Perry Steam Hydrotherapy Institute and sees clients in the QT Wellness Clinic. As a former caregiver of three elders, she is always available to help families ease the transition of loved ones. A mother, grandmother, and New York City native, Akila loves food, culture, black and white movies, and people. She is rejuvenated by sunshine and laughter. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband and lifelong partner, Omar. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Hi, Akila. How are you? I'm good, Anya. So good to talk to you. I'm so excited to have you on. We've been, I've known you for so long now, and you are one of the, one of the people who just exude everything, nutrition and health and energy. And I just love your soul too. So I'm so excited to be able to interview you because I've had questions about Reiki and who better to ask about Reiki than you? Because I was taught by someone who was taught by you. So you, to me, are the Reiki master. (laughs) (laughs) So 
that is they are also a Reiki master, I will say. They are because of you. Thank you very much. Mm. So I got a lot of questions about Reiki because a lot of the topics that I'm talking about with healing is, you know, Reiki comes up. So I had a lot of people ask me, what is Reiki? So that's what I want to talk about today. So first off, let's talk about what you do. So tell me about what it is that you do first. So I am a wellness practitioner. I'm a traditional naturopath and it's different from a tradition from a naturopathic doctor. A traditional naturopath is someone who is involved in holistic healing methods uh, and it can vary. It's all over the place from it can be, you know, herbs, uh, Reiki, massage, you know, it just covers the whole gamut of holistic therapies. So my specialization is in energy work, which includes Reiki as well as chakra alignments and tuning forks. And then I also do pelvic steams for women and herb blends for pelvic steams and womb care. And I have a, an affinity for elder care, especially holistic elder care. I took care of my mother and my father and stepmother for several years. And my mother was with us for 12 years. And all of the care I provided for her was a holistic of the holistic nature. So it included a lot of alternative therapies or complementary medicine, as well as allopathic medicine. I worked with her doctors and also provided a lot of remedies that were not pharmaceutical drug related. So that's kind yeah. of my, my niche is sort of uh, women and uh, womb care and energy and nutrition. I that's awesome. I just thought of like three more topics I can bring you on for <laughs> just listening to you say that. Okay. So let's get into the Reiki side of it. What is Reiki? Reiki is energy, pure and simple. The simplest explanation is that Reiki is energy. And so what I usually like to, how I usually like to define it is by saying whatever it is that you personally believe in as a higher source or higher power energy that comes from that is what Reiki is. And so as Reiki practitioners, we're tapping into that energy source. Okay. So if I want to get into Reiki, what does it look like when I come into a session? Or explain how that process works and looks like. So typically in an energy session or in a Reiki session, the person would come in, the person who's receiving the Reiki would come in and have a short conversation about what's going on with them, why they want to have an energy session. And then they would either sit or lay down and the, basically they wouldn't do anything. They would just relax. Uh, some practitioners will have you take a deep breath some, or some deep breaths or do some deep breathing, maybe have you visualize certain things that are important to you, things that you want to receive or that you want to open yourself to. And just really tell you to relax and be open to receiving. And then they will place their hands at different positions around your body and invoke the energy to come and work with your body's energy. Which is why you say you've got to be open to it. Because if you're closed off to that, it's like the energy won't flow. Is that it can correct? flow. It can still flow, but you will diminish the amount or maybe even diminish your ability to comprehend or acknowledge what's been received by the body. So in a lot of ways, a really good analogy for me is like eating food. When you eat food, you know, you get to choose what food you want to eat. 
you put it in your mouth, you get the, to experience the sensation of the taste of it and the texture and all of those things. Once you swallow the food, the food is still working, even though you're no longer actively involved with the food. It's still in your body. It's doing things. Your body recognizes what it is. If you're eating real food, whole food, you know, like fruits and vegetables and protein, you know, natural proteins, your body recognizes what those are and it knows how to take what it needs from what's being provided. You're no longer in control of that. You can't say, okay, liver, I want you to now take this, you know, apple and get this from it. Your body knows how to do that. And the apple knows how to give that and to let go of that and to relieve, to give those substances, those nutritive qualities to the body. And so in a very similar way, Reiki works with the body. You are open to receiving it. The body knows what it is because energy is a natural thing that exists in the world. And inside of our own bodies, energy is always at work. And so when you give your body natural forms of energy through food, through exercise, through Reiki, the body knows what it is and knows how to work with it. Being open to it in the sense of Reiki is similar to being open to understanding that you need good quality food for your body to function properly. So being open to Reiki means being aware enough to say, I want to receive this and all of the benefit that it brings with it so that you can get the best from it as opposed to just the minimum. That's really beautifully said. Okay. So with Reiki, I know that there's, I mean, I think about chakras and I know I'll say from my experience, when I first did Reiki, after I was done, it felt very, almost like a relief, like a, a weight had been lifted off. And then when I went home, I, wa- I dispelled certain things from my body. It felt like once my energy was flowing freely, but what in, in comparison to chakra balancing, how do those two compare or differ? So Reiki is really an activity of receiving energy. It's not diagnostic. Reiki is not used to determine what is going on in the body, although there are some aspects of Reiki where we can determine where energy is low and energy is high or energy is stagnant. But it's not diagnostic in the sense of like, this is something specific that's happening right here and the energy and we're directing, we're not directing the energy to do any specific thing. We're allowing the body to utilize the energy in the way that it's best served by using it. We understand that there's an intelligence that exists between the body and the energy where they work together and they know better how to work together than we do in our, in our mind. So with chakra balancing or chakra alignment, reading chakras is more specific to what's going on at different places in the body specific places in the body. So the crown, the third eye, the throat, the heart, the solar plexus, the sacrum, and the root chakra. Each of those correlates to different physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of ourselves. For instance, most people can relate to the heart chakra. And we already know just by our experience in society, what the heart chakra is about. So the heart chakra is located where the heart is. And so it affects the heart and the lungs. And on a physical level, on an emotional level, it's involved with forgiveness, with love, with gratitude, with all of those heart-centered things, emotions that we experience, loss, grief, depression, those types of things. And so when we're looking at the heart chakra, we're looking to see, is that chakra open? Is it closed? Is it functioning properly to allow the bringing in of the energies that we want, as opposed to pushing away the energies that we want. So we're looking at, are those chakras open or closed? And then how do we open those and bring more of the goodness in and getting that chakra flowing in the right directions and at the right frequencies 
and synchronized with the other chakras so that our bodies are sort of magnets for all of the goodness that we're seeking. Oh, that was beautiful. (laughs) Our bodies are magnets for the goodness that we're trying to receive. Yeah, because we don't want to, we don't want to keep in what no longer serves us. So then if I hear you correctly, uh, Reiki is just allowing that energy to come in. Chakra balancing is more specific to the specific chakra to open it up in that way. Chakra balancing and alignment or reading and alignment is more an assessment of what's, I mean, in Reiki, there's assessment too. So in Reiki, we can do scans and assess like, you know, how's the energy flow in chakra alignments. It's sort of more specific that you're assessing each of the individual chakras as opposed to the body as a whole, and then opening up those areas to allow healing and um, energy flow to be resumed or enhanced in those specific areas. Is it safe to say you should do Reiki first just to open that up, just to open the channel up and then do chakra balancing? That is what many practitioners do. That's how I function when I do energy work. I start with Reiki and then I sort of go through and read the chakras and determine if any chakra work is needed. And if it is, then I focus on that those specific chakras that I think need work or that are determined to need work. And then I usually end with Reiki. And so Reiki can be used to sort of open and, and Reiki is known to elevate the chakra. So it makes it easier for the person who's reading them to see what's going on or to sense what's going on with them. So it elevates the chakras to a place where it's just easier for the practitioner to scan them. And then Reiki can also balance chakras as well. Okay. Wow. I want to talk a little bit about what you discussed earlier. You uh, Let's just talk about how the process is because you're not touching anybody. You can, but you, typically we don't. We're just taking our energy. We're cupping our hands over the person and, and moving over throughout their body. And different people feel different things. Some people feel warmth. Some people feel cold. Some people see like colors or auras sometimes. It just depends on the person. But with your experience, what do you notice that people are feeling? So generally, people do feel warmth, and that depends, you know, where they feel it is is different for everyone. All of the things that you mentioned, seeing colors, seeing auras, feeling pressure is another one that I hear often. Someone will say, oh, I felt a lot of pressure on my chest, Uh, even though I wasn't working in the area of the chest, I still feel that. There's something called uh, archetype sensation where it's like you can be working at the feet, but the person feels like you're touching them at the head or some other part of the body. There's lots of different sensations. Some people go into a dream state. Some people feel like they leave their body. Some people fall asleep. And some people feel like, you know, they're being connected to spirit animals and other things like that. So it definitely differs for each person. And it even for each person can differ from one session to the next. Really depends on what's going on with you, what your body's needing and what it's taking from the energy. So do you recommend they do more than just one? Oh, absolutely. The first session is usually pretty profound for a lot of people. And if it is, it's usually a sign that their energy pathways were clogged to some extent. And so the Reiki session opened those up. I call it dust busting. It's like Reiki goes through and sort of like dust busts through there and clears out all the cobwebs and yeah, all the blockages. And so it's opening up the energy pathway so that energy flow is greater. And for some people, that first session is pretty profound. 
And then for others, it's it's sort of okay. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I do feel different. And for other people, they, they don't sense anything. Sometimes the people who had really profound sessions the first time don't have that profound type of experience again. And it's just like anything else. You know, the first time you experience something, it's like, wow, you know, and then the second time your body's like, yeah, okay, we've done this before. And it doesn't mean that there's no right. benefit. It's just not as experiential as the first time. Yeah. So I'm Reiki one certified. And in doing that, I, I do it to myself and my children, my dog, you know, my immediate, very close family. And there's two, two different, wait, is it two Reiki one and Reiki two and Reiki master and Reiki master. So can you walk through the different types of Reiki certifications that you teach and what they mean? So Reiki level one is really a basic Reiki entry level course. It's sort of covers what is Reiki, the history of Reiki, you know, how Reiki is used or how it can be used. Because it's basic, it's it's generally geared toward people who just want to work on themselves. So it's like, I want to be able to do Reiki for myself. It's a great class to take yeah. if you're really interested in having an additional, easy to use, always available tool in your toolbox, healing toolbox to just mm-hmm. be able to put hands on yourself or near yourself and, you know, experience, you know, more energy or, you know, clearing blockages or just helping yourself to calm yourself. Some people that I've worked with have called Reiki a form of meditation for them. So they use it as a form of meditation. They feel like Reiki helps them to meditate or to get into that meditative state very quickly. So level one is really basic. And because of that, it is promoted primarily as Reiki for yourself and for your family, like you said, immediate family, friends, you know, people that are close to you. It's not for necessarily for a professional level. You learn all of the things I mentioned, plus there are usually one or two symbols that are taught. And symbols are used in Reiki. Symbols are drawn in Reiki and used as uh, gate openers, so to speak, like energy gate openers. So they open the gate to allow greater energy flow or for specific things that you want to address. And so in level one, you only, there's like five symbols in Reiki altogether. And in Reiki level one, you learn one or two of those symbols, depending on the teacher. Level two is more advanced. It's what I call the advanced Reiki practitioner level. And so in that class, you learn, I usually do a review of Reiki one, and then we go into doing Reiki on other people, how to hold your hands, how to work with others. We cover things like ethics, you know, keeping things confidential when you're working with other people, even if it's family members. We talk about, you know, setting up a professional Reiki practice. We cover at Reiki, remote Reiki, which is sending Reiki across time and space to distances or to your past or to your future or to someone who lives out of state or out of your city and not near you. So the difference between one and two is that in level two, you're learning remote Reiki some people call distance Reiki, and you're also learning uh, more of a professional level of Reiki. And then there are, uh, there's one additional symbol that you're also learning that is used with the remote sessions. To open that portal. And then the Reiki master. And the Reiki master level is two more symbols that you learn that only masters use. And you also learn how to attune people to Reiki. So an attunement is something that happens in level one and two and level three. An attunement is basically a procedure that is done, an energetic procedure that is done to open the energy meridians 
to receive energy flow at a greater level. So there's a saying, I mean, I don't know how it's measured, but there's a saying in the Reiki community that everyone alive has some access to energy without an attunement. And I'm sure that there are other non-Reiki ways to also open these energy channels. But the average person can access universal energy at about 25%. Having an attunement opens that up all the way to 100% so that now you have full access to energy over time, of course. I mean, it's not something that happens immediately, but with practice and with doing Reiki, Reiki is is a noun, but it's also a verb. So you have to do Reiki in order to develop experience and proficiency with it. So the more you do it, the more you notice that your energy gets stronger. And so over time, you have access to, you know, the full range of Reiki, but doing an attunement opens you more quickly to that process. And it sort of goes through and clears out all of the energy blockages that exist within your energy fields. And so at level three or Reiki master level, you learn to do, to give attunements to other people. So you actually can now train people and attune people to become Reiki level one, level two, and level three. And then also some Reiki masters teach how to teach Reiki as well. Some teach it as part of Reiki master course and some teach it as a separate class. I love that you were talking about the attunements and the meridians because I was going to go back to the energy piece of it because it's like, the way I look at it is, is kind of like, you know, when a kid falls and they get a scrape on their knee, what does mama come and do? Mama typically comes and puts her hand over that, you know, wound or gash or whatever on yes. the knee. And they say, baby, it's, it's going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, the baby's like, oh, thank you. I feel so much better. That's mama <laughs> giving the energy yes. to the baby. Or I look at it another way, you know, energy is like when you're in your car driving and the car two cars down from you, you just feel someone looking at you. And all of a sudden you look over and they're staring at you. And you're just like, oh, because you feel that energy, that connection between That's the exactly people. exactly what so, it is. So you're able, I love that you were saying that it's like you're open to about 25%, but that attunement will open you up even wider to be able to, you know, use it in a more larger frequency, I suppose, is the way I want to yes, put it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I always say that, you know, before I got involved with Reiki, I would have like good days where like everything seemed to be flowing really well. And then other days where it was like, what is going on? Why can't I get in gear here? And I could never figure out like why some days it was the energy flow was really good and other days it wasn't. And there there just didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. And I had no way of adjusting that or tapping into like what, what the difference was. And after I just started doing Reiki, I realized that I could start every day with this awesome energy flow, as opposed to it being some random thing that was happening to me, I could be involved in the process of it. So that makes a huge difference. It does. It absolutely does. I do mine in the shower almost every day because it helps. It is meditative for me. I do it to my kids when they feel sick or if they just, you know, sometimes just watching TV, you know, (laughs) and you talked about the placement of your hands because, you know, and you taught me because we would have group sessions. So Akilah, when she was living in Richmond, she's no longer here, but she would bring all of us to her practice and who have been taught by her. And we would do it on each other because sometimes Reiki masters, people do it, end up doing it to so many people, they never get it done to themselves. So we would do it all as a group. And that right there, your energy, at least on me, 
you can tell the people who have been doing it more often because the energy is more, I don't know, more peaceful, I suppose. I feel your energy and it has so much warmth to it. I can always tell when you're somewhere <laughs> because you're the one with the most warmth because <laughs> you so have kind. such depth in it. Oh my gosh. It's just amazing. Okay. So interesting. Reiki one, two, and then Reiki master. So I want to talk about your mother, God rest her soul. But I remember how well you took care of her. I mean, I know you did Reiki on her. How was that able to prolong her life? Because you are an angel on on this earth and you took such good care of her. She was so well taken care of. You would have never known she was, you know, older because, you know, she just seems so healthy. And I, I attest that to energy, to the work that you did, to the, all the, the natural stuff that you use. But how do you think Reiki helped her? I think, well, first of all, I want to say that I believe strongly that Reiki is something that you should only do on other people who consent to it. And so as my mom's primary caregiver and her only child, actually, I only did Reiki on my mother because my, at the time when I started doing Reiki with my mom, she was not no longer able to consent because of dementia. And, and at some point she stopped speaking. But I did Reiki with her because I knew just from knowing her and having had a close relationship with her that she was someone who would not have been opposed to receiving it. If I thought she'd have been opposed to receiving it, if she'd have been like, I don't know what that is and you're not doing that on me, I would never have done it because I would have respected that. Sometimes we, we know that things that we have or that we can do can help other people, but they have to agree to it. It's not our decision to force things on them. So I have to premise with that, preface with that. But I will say that I did Reiki on my mom pretty much every day, uh, sometimes more than once a day. Generally, as my mom got older and more into uh, Alzheimer's, she had developed anxiety. And I remember having a conversation with her doctor at one point who was awesome, by the way. And if you're in Virginia and you need a home, a doctor to come to the house, calls of Virginia is amazing. And Dr. Jenkins uh, was the doctor there. And I remember one time he came to the house and we had a conversation about my mom's anxiety. And we knew that she had anxiety because she had developed this little tick where she was like rubbing her finger across her lip, like compulsively all the time. And if you tried to stop her, she would get like very agitated. So he's like, I think this is a form of anxiety. And he's like, I really don't want to give her any more medication because she was very medication sensitive. And we had her on three medications that um, were working really well for her. She wasn't having any side effects or problems with them. And we were really leery about adding anything new and upsetting that balance that we had worked so hard to create with the ones that she was already taking. Mm -hmm. So he asked me, was there anything that I knew that I could do? that could help her with the anxiety. And I said, well, let's try Reiki. So we started doing, I was doing Reiki on her already every day, but I started increasing it, especially on the days when I saw her really, really agitated. And literally within five minutes of starting doing the Reiki on her, she would stop with the rubbing of her finger on her mouth. And she would just sort of like, you could hear her take like a little deep breath and she would just relax. And she'd be like that for hours. And it was like, okay. And then we also used Reiki a lot with my father-in-law who lived with us, also had Alzheimer's and lived with us at the same time that my mother was living with us. And my father-in-law was a very, very mild-mannered person his whole life, very quiet, 
very easygoing. You know, you'd have to lean in. One of those people you have to lean in to hear them talk. Very soft-spoken, very congenial. And he developed Alzheimer's and became aggressive. Mm. A total change of personality. And they, we would have days where he would just be like, he'd want to fight you physically, fight with you. And he'd get really loud and he'd get in your face. And he was a big man. And so my husband and I would get him on the table. We had a Reiki table at home and we would get him on the table and we would both do Reiki on him. My husband would start at the head. I started at the feet and we'd work toward the center. And within five minutes, he'd be so calm and he'd be like that for days. So like every three or four days, we would just do Reiki on him just to help him stay calm. And that was our like, you know, anti-anxiety, anti-agitation medicine in our home for, for them calming. And that's exactly why I use it on my daughter and my kids. Actually, they love it. They ask, they actually ask for me, mommy, can you bring the table out? Can you please, can you please do Reiki on me? Because it, it calms them down. And Amanda has had anxiety for a while now, and it helps her just to feel calm, especially before bedtime. Uh, one thing you mentioned, and I was going to ask is I heard you say with your father-in-law, it would last a couple of days with your mother. It was a couple of hours still. That's a long time. But one of the questions that I had was how long does it last? So I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me it depends on the person, but mm-hmm. typically how <laughs> long can someone expect it to last? <laughs> you know, I would say it is, it definitely depends on the person. And when I say it would last a few hours or a few days, it doesn't mean that the energy stopped working at that point. It's just what we were visibly able to notice it was a few hours or a few days. And what someone's able to notice externally and what someone's able to notice internally are two different things. So typically I'm not working with people who can't emote or express what they're feeling. That's very untypical. Usually I'm working with people who can. And so when I work with clients, you know, one of the questions that clients want to ask immediately, almost when they, you know, when you're, when the Reiki session is over is like, what did you notice? But it's really not about what I notice. It's about what you as the client notice, what you're feeling, what you're sensing, because Reiki is an internal process. It's very different from like when we go to the doctor and the, you know, we tell the doctor, I have a headache and the doctor tells us what's going on. This is the opposite of that, where I'm looking for you as the practitioner, I'm looking for the client to tell me what they're sensing, what they're feeling, because that's what matters, not mm-hmm. what I can observe externally. So I don't know what was going on with them, my parents, you know, my mother and my father-in-law internally, because they weren't able to express that. But I would notice with my mother, by few, I mean, maybe seven or eight hours, she would go back to the rubbing of her you know, finger on her lip, but it wouldn't be as that intensity that it was before. It would take a while for that to build back up to that intensity again. And then because of the dementia, you know, because we don't really understand what that is and how it affects other processes in the body, I don't know if it's, you know, something that's needed more regularly or more frequently by them than someone who doesn't have dementia. So, and you mentioned, for example, with your mom, the anxiety, uh, really and your father-in-law too, what other things is Reiki good for? I know when I went, I was going at a time when I just had, my days were very, very busy. My days are always busy, but I would go to kind of unwind and get back centered. And by the way, I love that you said that it, it's really dependent on the person. You shouldn't come to Reiki expecting an external source to give you an answer that's really kind of on the inside. Correct. It's all going to be internal, which that's the process of healing itself. But why are, can you just name a few reasons why you know or have heard of or people tell you why they do Reiki? What, what would be some good reasons to do Reiki? 
I'd say the number one reason that the clients I've seen over the last 15 years, then I always ask people why they're, why are you here? Like, what is it that you're hoping that Reiki will help you with? And I'd say probably 80% of those people won't say anxiety or depression and or depression, uh, or some sense of being off center, out of focus, off balance, uh, not feeling grounded. I love that. Wanting to be more in alignment with their true self. And sometimes it's for physical ailments, specific physical ailments. Like I've worked with cancer patients. I actually started out in Reiki when I started working with other people. My initial start in Reiki was working with cancer patients and women who had gone through surgery, chemo, radiation, and they were looking for some way to sort of be, you know, just something to help bring them back to their center and to feel heal healing on a, on a different mm-hmm. kind of level than like the f- medical healing level. And then I also worked with people who were in respiratory care centers who were hooked up to lung machines or breathing machines and things like that, who really couldn't talk. Some of them were dying and their family members just wanted them to have a smooth transition that was peaceful and calming and energized. So, I mean, I, I'd say you know, some people come for their back, they have back pain. I've worked with teenagers who have, you know, ADD or ADHD or are withdrawn and their parents are concerned about their being withdrawn from society, from, you know, from life. Um, I've had a lot of good results with that. And my Reiki teacher, Rhonda, also has worked with teens and had a teen program. And I think it's getting ready to revive that teen program, actually, with her son, mm. who's trained in Reiki, who's no longer a teen anymore, ah. now a young adult. So teens are very responsive. I've, I've worked with several teens, actually, who were on medication, like, you know, for ADD or for, you know, other types of teen maladies that they medicate for and, uh, you know, oppositional defiance disorder and those kinds of things. And have been able to get off medications and, you know, just fe- because wow. they feel calmer and they don't feel that you know, teenage rage anymore. Oh, that's huge. So really it's an array of everything. I mean, you really could go for anything and it's, it's really, you know, listening to you, it's, it really gets you back into a connection with source, with your power. If you feel like you've lost it in any way. And, you know, that's why you were talking about the teens, the ADHD, you know, feeling, you know, like anxiety, depression, just not feeling centered. And it gives you that, I literally walk out with a boost of energy. I feel like I've just been given like a shot of B12, (laughs) but it's like an energetic shot. (laughs) And everybody doesn't feel that way. A lot of people do feel more energized. Some people feel more grounded. Some people feel, leave feeling sort of like they're in a, in a daze, like in a fog, Peaceful. Mm. peaceful. I've had someone tell me that they literally felt like all the colors that they could see were sharper and brighter than they were before. And I'd also say that another thing that I've worked with Reiki is around menstrual cycles. I do a lot of work now with menstrual cycles. And I've noticed over the years, over the last probably 10 years, that I was becoming really more sensitive when I was working on women around their pelvic regions. I Sometimes I would have these really strange sensations. I would just have a very strange experience where I would get really weak or dizzy or nauseous working around women's pelvic areas. And so then I would started asking questions after sessions, like, you know, are you on your period right now? Or 
you know, like what's going on? Are you ovulating? Like what's going on? And I started seeing some patterns. And so I started doing more work around Reiki with Reiki around menstrual cycles and just kind of seeing how it affects women in different parts of their cycle, whether they're in the luteal phase or the follicular phase, things like that. So I'm still kind of compiling that research, but I'm very interested in how Reiki affects the menstrual cycle and fertility uh, and things like that. So, I mean, especially because you do womb care and, you know, you've got the Yanni steams and, you know, our womb is what creates life in us. So, I mean, it literally creates life. Mm -hmm. So it's such a powerful, I could totally see why you would feel you know, nauseous or, you know, whatever the feelings that were coming up, because you're working on an area that's very powerful. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I can totally <laughs> see that. Wow. Very interesting. I think I've asked you all the questions that I wanted to ask you. What, anything else that comes up that you want to mention about Reiki? I would like to talk a little bit about remote Reiki, because I think it's an area that yeah. a lot of people don't understand. I've talked, even some of my clients, when I moved from Virginia, when I moved from Richmond to Portland, a lot of my clients were like, oh no, I'm going to lose my practitioner. And I said, well, you can still do remote Uh, sessions. And and they're just like, (laughs) I don't know if I want to do remote because a lot of people just think it doesn't really work. Like, how can that be possible? So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And so Reiki is energy. And if we think about energy and it's universal energy, so it comes from the source of thing, whatever it is that produces energy for the entire universe. So if that's the case, energy has no parameters, no boundaries. It's timeless. It's boundless as far as, you know, there's no borders, no boundaries of like where it's contained. It's everywhere and it's in everything. And it's supported by things by natural phenomenon like the sun and like water and those help to produce and, you know, promote energy and move energy. So if, if Reiki exists everywhere, then it makes sense that we can impact energy no matter where it's going because energy is always moving too. It's not Mm -hmm. stagnant. It can be stagnant, but in the world, it's not in general, it's not stagnant. And so as a remote session, in a remote session, what happens is we are tapping into that energy source and then we are directing it just as we are in a in-person uh, session. We're directing it to a specific person. We can also direct it over space and over time to a specific person or place or thing. And it is just as effective. I have been for the last 10 years doing remote attunements for students. So students enroll in my classes, even before I was doing remote classes, I was doing in-person classes, I would do one attunement remotely before the class date. And then I would do another attunement in class. And I would have students responding when I would send their remote attunement before the class even started. They'd be like, wow, like I really, did you send my attunement last night? Because I really sensed Mm -hmm. something was happening. I've worked with many people out of the country who I've sent Reiki to who received it. Remote Reiki is a real thing. And I know people who've never had an in-person Reiki session. They've only worked with Reiki practitioners remotely. And some of the students that I've trained have only done remote Reiki. They've never done in-person sessions. So it definitely is something that is real, just as much as energy is real. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not existing. And energy always works. It always flows regardless of whether we are open to receiving it or not. But we have the ability to say, no, I don't want to receive Reiki or energy as well. So some people are just closed 
And a good example of that is when my husband first did, took a Reiki class. It was an in-person class and the teacher was trying to do an attunement on him. And she said, you're resisting me. You're fighting me. You're not allowing the energy in. And he said, I wasn't because he didn't trust her. There was something about her that made him a little suspicious. And he was just like, he didn't feel 100% comfortable. So he was blocking everything that she was doing with his intention. He was just like, I don't know. I was just sure. And so once he, he went to another teacher, a different teacher, and he really felt the connection with her Mm -hmm. and she didn't have any problem doing the attunement and he didn't have any problem receiving it. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, in person or remotely, we, we can block and we can receive energy flow and we receive an end. The other thing I want to say is about remote energy is that because there's a lot of people who are skeptical about it. Oh yeah. But I also ask, are you skeptical about prayers? I was just going to say the same thing. It's just like me saying a prayer for you or for a family member at a distance. So you're on Facebook and your friend's like, Hey, say a prayer for my mom. She's having surgery today. And everybody's like, I'm going to pray, say a prayer for your mom. Right. You're not right there with her mom praying over her. You're praying from a distance. Right. What is the difference? What is that prayer? Prayer is an energy that is sent with an intention. Oh, beautiful. Preach. That's exactly what Reiki is. Reiki is an energy that's sent with an intention. Right. It's at a hundred percent. Yes. Versus the 25% when you're not. Right. Yes. I love that. Now, when I did my distance Reiki, our mutual friend, Joanne, when she did it on me, she said, I'm going to do it for you. And then she said, when, when she told me when she was done, and then she said, when you're ready tonight, then lay down and just receive it. And that's when I wish I put myself in a comfortable situation right before bed. And I allowed myself to receive it. And it was just like, almost like a meditative state almost. And I just allowed that, you know, without her telling me what it was, we had talked about the things we kind of want to work on, but still she sent it. And then I was able to receive it later on in the day. It's not like I had to be there at that same moment. I was able to receive it later on in that evening and, you know, cause my, my schedule was just so busy. So that's a, that was just another form of, I wanted to bring up because the distance, it really, it, and, and you just, you just feel it. You feel that energy. You feel yeah. that it, again, it's just energy, you know, energy is, is everywhere. So, and I was going to mention that too, because when you pray for someone from a distance, like I pray for my grandmother all the time, she's 99 years old and I just send Ooh, her that sorry. energy. So I send her my good energy or I send her my love, you know, with the intention of healing or, you know, helping because she, she has ailments herself at 99. So, you know, just to relieve her of that pain in some way, but yeah, absolutely. And we all do it. We all absolutely 100% do it. I'm so glad you mentioned that. That was, that's beautiful. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I think it's really important because, you know, we all, well, I'm going to say we all, but many, many people believe in prayers, whether it's formal prayers or just like a well wish for someone, you know, what is that? You know, we have to stop and think about what is that, you know, and I never really thought about what prayer was before Reiki. Like, you know, I've prayed my whole life, but I never really thought about what is a prayer? Like, what Mm -hmm. is it actually? I think growing up, I was taught, you know, prayer is like communicating with God or something, but beyond that, what is it like actually? And so when I really started thinking about it, it's like, it's an energetic exchange. You know, you putting this energy out there that you hope goes to where you're sending it with this intention that it do good in the world, you know, or for that person. 
And that's what Reiki is. And on saying that, I also want to say that Reiki is used only for good in the world and not for negative intentions in the world. And it cannot be used in that way. So some people are really skeptical about, oh, I don't want to go to someone and they might be putting some negative negativity on me or some kind of spell or hex or, you know, something, some mojo on me that I don't want. It's Reiki is not that. The intention of Reiki is always for good. And one of the intentions that's taught in the class is that I intend to send Reiki to this person for their highest and greatest good. Mm, And I think all practitioners are taught that. Uh, Tell us how long Reiki's been around. Reiki's been around forever, since probably before humans. But Reiki in the form that of Reiki as a modality, a specific modality, since the 1940s. Here in this country? Because I know it originated in I'm really bad with dates. (laughs) It originated in Japan. The founder is Mikao Yusui, who was a Japanese man. And he taught Reiki uh, after his own personal experience with it. And um, it spread. Initially, it was only contained inside Japan for many years. Uh, It was not taught outside of Japan at all. And uh, actually came to the United States during World War II by a Japanese woman who was living in Hawaii and went to Japan and learned about Reiki and brought it back to the U.S. with the permission of one of Mikhail Yusui's successors. And she began teaching it here in the U.S. and it spread from there. So Reiki here in the U.S. is a little different than Reiki taught in Japan because during World War II, there were a lot of anti-Japanese sentiments. Hmm. And so she sort of uh, stripped away a lot of the Japanese cultural aspects of Reiki to make it more palatable to an American she Americanized mindset. She did. <laughs> That's right. She's like, if this is going to um, survive here, we got to, we got to. Right. It. Let's so. just, right. I love how you were saying that, you know, prayer is you talking to God. That's what I've always said, you know, with the intention, you know, you're talking and you're asking and you're, you're saying, this is my intention that I would like on my life. But we were saying earlier that Reiki's got these meditative qualities because meditation allows you to hear what the higher power is trying to tell you or hear and just sit in that quiet space so that you can get aligned and in tune with what it is and kind of integrate both prayer and meditation so that not only are you asking for what you seek, but you're also, you're also receiving what you need. And that's how, that's how I've always looked at prayer and meditation and, and Reiki all of that intertwined. That's interesting. I saw a video on YouTube a couple of years ago. It was a man, a Japanese man who was drawing sort of like an analogy of what Reiki was. And in his analogy, Reiki was the person who wants to receive Reiki is like the asker. And then Reiki, they're asking the question, like, help me with this thing. And then the Reiki is the answer that the higher power sends. Oh, I love it. And I was just I like, wow, that. that is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, that was deep. <laughs> yeah, he depicted it as like the person receiving the Reiki is like their hand is going up through the clouds and like saying, me, I'm over here, me, me, me. Yeah. And the answer comes down through the clouds to that through, person as the yes. answer. And, I was and just you're like, the medium. So it's yes. the Reiki master, you're the medium at the channel of that energy. And, you know, you don't have to be perfect but you just have to be open to be the channel from, you know, that higher power into this person that you're working on and yes. allow that channel to open up so that, you know, that person can receive the message, the energy and 
Like I said, I walk out feeling energized all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I needed that so much. And you know what? You even make me take off my my watch that's connected to me, the Fitbit and stuff like that, you know, because all that energy can interfere with what we're doing. And I would come and I had everything. I have work phone, my I mean my work cell phone, <laughs> my personal cell phone, my watch, and you're just like, okay, Anya, I'm gonna need you to set all that aside. <laughs> and I'm like, Leave oh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> No Bluetooth, oh, no, God. yeah, none of that stuff. Yeah, and, and even like big, yeah. some, some clients will come up with like huge crystals. It's like around their neck, like these big like crystal size of the palm of your hand. It's like, okay, let's take that off, you know. Not that it's a bad thing, but I just want to be able to, for you to be able to receive this energy without it having to go through any other energetic fields and be filtered in any kind of way. Yeah, yeah sure, I also wanted sure. to say and- that um, Reiki, there was something you were saying earlier that made me want to say that Reiki... It's not diagnostic, but sometimes you'll go to a Reiki practitioner and they will say, okay, I noticed over here, you know, such and such is going on. You've got a weakness in this area or, you know, your liver feels like this, that, and the other. Those are generally practitioners who have other skills that allow them to assess things. Reiki in and of itself alone does not diagnose anything. So it's really important to understand. Some people come and they're looking for diagnoses. And first of all, in the U.S., if you're not a medical, a licensed medical professional, you can't diagnose anything. If you do, it's illegal. Right. And punishable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's be clear about that. Punishable, illegal and punishable. But some people have other skills. Some people have psychic abilities. Some people have, you know, other things that they've studied or learned or developed other skills. And so they are sometimes able to give more information than a standard Reiki practitioner who has doesn't have those skills. So I want to point that out too. Because sure. Oh, and then the other thing I wanted to say, I remember now, it was that the energy that's used in Reiki does not come from the practitioner. Right. It comes from the source. So oftentimes clients get confused and think that the person that's doing the Reiki, it's that it's their energy. And they will differentiate practitioners by saying, oh, this Reiki practitioner I get more when I work with them than when I work with this person. If you're getting more from a specific practitioner session, it's not the practitioner, it's you. And it's your connection with that practitioner. I was just going to say like Omar, right? Yes, exactly. So it's not that the practitioner has some special qualities. Reiki is a skill. It's not a gift. It's not something that you're born with. It's something that you learn to do. Mm -hmm. And the experience is personal to the receiver not the practitioner. Just so for the record, when she says source, that's your higher power, the higher, higher power. power. However you look at, however you translate that, that. It is, mm-hmm. yes, it is a higher power. That's beautiful. I'm glad you mentioned that because some people, you know, and, and I did, I did at first, you know, I, I thought it was before I took the course, I just assumed it was the person that had this amazing energy that was giving me all their good energy. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> You know, and I'm gonna little did I know, right? And I was like, "Oh, so you're just the channel. You're just the medium between. Yeah, you're just the vessel that allows that. I mean, you know, like you said, you got to open the portal with the symbols, and then you allow yourself to be the channel so that energy can go from source to them, and then it evens out all the energy. And then you know, when I got home, the practitioner is just like the jumper cables in a battery charge. Love it. The jumper cables by themselves don't do anything. They don't have any power. They don't import anything. They're just a connector. And that's what the practitioner is. 
and how well battery B that has no charge receives energy from battery A, which is fully charged, depends on battery B. If battery B is in poor shape and poor condition, it's not going to, you may not get as much as if it was in a little bit better health. Yeah. And that's another thing. When I went the first time, I did feel this jolt of amazing. I felt amazing. I felt like the best high I've ever had. And then the second time that I kept going, or second time, third time, fourth time, as I continued to go, I felt more connected. I felt more stable. I felt more grounded. I felt like I could do my job and not feel anxiety. So yeah, I just wanted people to know that, you know, everyone's experience is going to be slightly different, but it's still an amazing experience because I, th- I think that's what's happening in the world. I think more and more people are starting to get interested in Reiki because I they're starting too. to realize the importance of that's the shift that's happening. They're starting to realize the importance of getting back in tune with who they are because we've gotten so far away from it, you know, watching TV, you know, uh, so many different things that you've gotten away from who you are. And when you, you lose yourself, you want to come back to that because you know that in my personal opinion, I believe that God lives in all of us through the Holy Spirit. So if you can get back in tune with that, then you can align yourself with your purpose, you know, live a more palatable life so that life just seems easier to go through. And then when you take a course, which by the way, so do you offer, I mean, I know you've moved, but are, do you still do zoom classes, like teaching? Like, how can we teach? How can we learn from you? Can we still from a distance? Yes. So since, um, (laughs) since April of 2020, I started doing remote classes on zoom. I think I've done about six or seven classes since then. I typically do about three or four classes a year for level one and two. And then I typically do one or two Reiki master classes every year. That's awesome. My next class is actually October 10th and 17th, but it's not on Zoom. It's actually a live class here in Portland. So my next Zoom class will be in January of 2022. I'm actually taking November and December off from doing classes to just spend more time with myself. And so my next class will be in January. I do Zoom classes for levels one and two and for master. I'm also working on completing my self-paced online Reiki classes. So they'll be sort of more like, um, you don't have to have a practitioner involved. It'll be sort of like like an email class or an online class that you just kind of go through at your own pace. And there'll be some videos and things like that. That's awesome. But yeah, I I typically do classes in January, April, um, September, and November, like early November, somewhere around there every year. And they're always on the website, the classes. Whenever I pick the dates, whenever I decide on the dates, I, I put them on the website. So sometimes if you don't see any dates up there, which is not very often, I try to pick the next class before the current one ends. So there's always at least one class listed up there, but there's usually one every three or four months. And what's your website? Key to wellness, Q-I-T-O wellness.com. I love that. Q-I means energy, doesn't it? Key is the Japanese word for chi. Yes. Which means energy. Energy to wellness. I love it. What other projects are you working on? I am working on determining the connection between blood types and menstrual cycle disorders. And I would totally love to have an interview with that. (laughs) That would be fantastic. 
That's awesome because I recently, and you know, this is a podcast for single working mothers, by the way. And I recently, I had a, an IUD and I took mine out because I wanted to honor my cycle and I wanted to honor the moon cycles. And and I was starting to uh, harness the energy from the moon and the importance of it. And I started to realize the importance of what my womb can bring me. And in speaking to a shaman, I was able to realize that in having my period, I was able to be more creative in my business life. Uh, I was able to be more open and just a lot of different things happened to me. So that's why I'm like, okay, I'm coming back to you to come to do this. Once you do this research, I cannot wait. (laughs) It's going to be some really cool stuff. I cannot wait. That's so Um, interesting that you're saying that you feel more open because um, totally when you don't bleed, you create a, a stagnant condition in the body physically. And it manifests in in other ways in your work and your thinking and things like that. So yeah, I've I've been doing a lot of work. I work with the Parasteam Hydrotherapy Institute. I'm an assistant instructor for them and advisor for the students in the primary program. And I'm an advisor in the advanced program. My role with the Steamy Chick Parasteam Hydrotherapy Hydrotherapy Institute is actually getting me to change around probably right close to the end of the year. I'll be doing moving away from instructing, doing more advising of our advanced students. Oh, wow. And so all of the work that I've been doing with them for the last nearly four years or so has been plunging me into this world of what blood does and Mm -hmm. um, really looking at blood in a whole new way. And then I did my 23andMe DNA test, which opened my eyes a little bit even more about blood and the connections that we have ancestrally and so then I went back to looking at the blood type diet, which I had, you know, dabbled in before years ago after I graduated nutrition school. And so this year I sort of plunged back into the blood type diet and looking at how does that really affect things. And, and I've got some of my STEAM clients, my personal STEAM clients who are really interested in their blood types and, you know, what that means for their menstrual cycles. And so I've started this little sort of like a little trial to kind of see what the connections are. And I'm finding some interesting parallels between blood type O, which is my blood type. Mm. So I know the most about that one, but I'm finding some interesting parallels between my clients who have blood type O and uh, the type of bleeding disorders that they have or menstrual cycle disorders that they have or menstrual cycle problems that they have. So it's really interesting because I think the last three years have been me just learning a lot about how many different types of menstrual anomalies there are, Mm. things that I didn't even know were possible that women are suffering with and that gynecologists honestly don't know anything about or what to do about. So oftentimes they'll just say, well, you know, it's normal for some women and it's not, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's what they do. And so, and we've been able to affect those things positively, you know, with the proper steam protocol and regimens. So, and herbs. So I've also been really jumping into learning more about herbs and traditional Chinese medicine. Those are all things that are kind of at the forefront right now for me and, you know, teaching Reiki and then also looking at how, and I've also, and also I've started using a lot of tuning forks now in my energy sessions. And I specifically took some courses on tuning, using tuning forks for the sacral chakra. So for that whole pelvic region. Oh, okay. So it's really interesting just kind of like pulling all those pieces. I'm waiting for that sort of aha moment where everything kind of clicks and and goes like falls into place. And you're like, oh, now I see how all these things are connected. 
right. kind of waiting for that moment to happen. So I'm tying in diet and energy and the pelvic steams together. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's awesome. So basically, oh, and let me touch on this real quick. I know the listeners are probably like, what? A Yanni who? So the <laughs> Yanni seems, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I just wanted to touch on it real quick because it is important now that you've mentioned it. It's And it's just another healing modality for that pelvic area, for your womb. You know, if you're having any issues, you know, give me some issues. Say, for example, a woman would have an endometriosis. Endometriosis. Um, uh, missing periods, missing periods, all that stuff. Postpartum, um, short cycles, frequent bleeding, random bleeding, boom, infection. They, so these yoni steams, basically, you sit on and you make these. Actually, it's a box, and you sit down on it, and then there's a, there's a hole in the middle of it, and then you have these herbs that you put together based on what you feel is the best herbs for that client. And then they literally sit on this box and it's the steam from the herbs and that goes into your body and helps heal you naturally. So you're not putting something like an IUD in you, or you're not putting, you know, taking medications for something. Same with Reiki. This is all natural stuff to help you heal your body naturally, heal your anxiety naturally without having to take medication that has side effects, without having to take, you know, same with, you know, Yanni, your Yanni steams. You don't have to take medications for anything, really. I mean, you can couple it, of course, but he, these are natural healing modalities that help you, that help your body. I have yet to do one, but I plan on doing one. And I hate <laughs> that you have gone because I would have loved to do it. And I, I remember asking a couple of times, but now that I'm honoring my cycle more and looking at it completely differently, I'm totally down for that and totally want interested in doing it as well. So, Well, 90% um, of what I do with steaming is online or on phone, I should say, consultations and teaching clients mm-hmm. how to steam at home. What? So if that's, that's something fantastic. that absolutely everybody doesn't have access to a steam practitioner. And some people really need to steam more frequently than they can afford to go in and see someone. And so right. I do online consultations Ooh, like- for at home steaming. And <gasps> I create a protocol, specific herbs. And, and I just want to add that the herb formulas that I use and that we use at the Parasteam Hydrotherapy Institute, I use I make my own herb blends, but Parasteam Hydrotherapy Institute has its own herbs blends that it sells. But the herbs are formulated according to specific needs for pelvic steaming. So we don't just throw like, we don't just go, oh, you've got, you know, a weak womb. So we throw in a bunch of herbs like Don Quai and, you know, things that are just help the, you know, red raspberry that just help, you know, strengthen the womb. We're also looking at other things. We want to make sure that when we are supplying a blend, herb blend, that the herb blend is well-rounded that the negative impacts of, because herbs have positive and negative qualities as well. So an herb can be healing for infections, but it can also be drying. So we want to make sure that we're countering the negative effects of the herbs in the in the blend as well. So we use a blend and not just single herbs. So we, we take all of those things into consideration. You know, there are certain components, certain properties that a blend should have to make it effective, but also safe mm. and preventative so that it doesn't create other problems. So I've worked with a lot of clients who've come to me and said, you know, I was just steaming with marshmallow root and now I got this problem. And it's like, yeah, because marshmallow root also has a side effect that it can, this, that, and right. So that's why we pair it with other herbs so that they balance each other. So you are an amazing human being. This is why I love <laughs> you so much. You are so well-educated. You literally live and breathe all this stuff. Do you still do uh, the doula stuff as well? I retired as a doula in 2020. 
Wow. No longer a birth and postpartum doula, but um, one of the reasons why I was able to retire from doing doula work in person, birth work, is because doing the steams, I'm able to still work with postpartum moms. And I'm still able to work with, and I do a lot of work with pregnancy loss, which is Mm -hmm. something that I wanted to do as a doula and just never was able to move into that realm for some reason. Mm -hmm. But with the steaming, I've been able to work with pregnancy loss. And so women who have missed miscarriages where they've been told, you know, the fetal heartbeat is no longer uh, there, but they haven't started the miscarriage process. We can use steam to get that process going so that they don't have to take the pills to help evacuate the embryo or the fetus. And sure. it's a it's a much more pleasant and natural experience than taking the pills, which force the body to do it. And I'm also able to work with women during labor prep. So if they're in their last trimester, those last few weeks before the baby's due, we can do labor preparation that helps to ease labor and delivery with steaming. So oh, wow. I'm still able to work with pregnant women, which I sure. love. But I don't have to be at the hospital and I don't have to you know, deal with the doctors and the nurses and all of that. And there's plenty oh, of other doulas right. out there who can do that. So Sure, sure. So the last question I'll ask is, what advice do you have for single working mothers? Follow Anya's lead. Oh, oh, I love you. I've loved how you how you've you know progressed into this role, into this you know way of living for yourself, and you know you've really taken the bull by the horns and just said this is going to be my life now, and I'm going to do it to the best. So I would say you know keep yourself at the center. You have to take care of yourself. It's Mm. so important to say I'm an older woman, you know, past childbearing age now. And I can honestly say that most of the women I know during childbearing age, that phase of our lives, you know, we put everybody else first. It's just what it is. But you have to make time, put aside time, calendar time, you know, for yourself. It's so, so, so important so that you don't get burnt out and are no good to anybody after that happens. So you know, nowadays I literally schedule, I mean, one of the perks of being self-employed is that I schedule every six weeks, I schedule a week off God. and I, I don't do any work. That's and I just, I'm talking about, <laughs> <laughs> and it started with me doing just a weekend. It was like one weekend a month. I'm not working. I'm not looking at work. I'm not mm-hmm. thinking about work. I'm like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm just going to do me. And I kind of learned that when I was going to nutrition school, because I used to go one weekend a month for a year to New York for school. And so I would leave, I would take off Thursday and Friday from work and I'd leave on Thursday night and I'd come back to work on Monday. And I realized, wow, I could take off like one weekend for like two days every month. And like <laughs> beauty for myself. It was like, wait, 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 what's going on here? So right. I, just, I just kept doing that after I stopped working. I just, for the corporate job, I just stopped doing that. So, I mean, put yourself first. It's so important. It, it's not selfish. It feels selfish, but it's not. It took me a long, long time to be okay with doing nothing. Every time I would have a moment to just relax and rest, I would feel like guilty. Like I should be doing something. There's something, there's so much that needs to be done. And eventually I just had to stop. I just got Mm -hmm. used to that. It was okay to just sit down and enjoy a sunrise or sit down and put my feet up and do some deep breathing for an hour. It's okay. Take a bath without answering the door or the phone or, you know, having to hurry up because somebody else needs to use the bathroom. It's like, oh. it's okay to do that. Yeah. It really is. That's my number one advice is make time for yourself. Because when you're a single mom, you're like mom and dad. Yes. Even if the dad's involved, 
you know, you're still like mom and dad or the other mom or whoever the other parent is involved. You're still like both parents if the children live with you. Right. So you have to make time for yourself. Your children are going to be better for it. And if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your children because you are teaching them how to take care of themselves. You're teaching them that self-care is not selfish. Right. So think about your children are watching everything you're doing and they see you work, 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 work and never rest. And you're always tired and you always have a headache and your feet are always aching and your back is always hurting and you're, you can't cook. You can't this, you can't, it's they're learning. They're like, Oh, this is how we live. That's right. And if they watch and they're going to get married at some point, they'll be thinking, Oh, this is how my wife should be. Right. Work, work, work. Or they watch you go to Reiki sessions with your Reiki group and they sit there quietly and they respect the fact that mommy is putting herself first. And thank you for everything you said. I appreciate that. I think that's the best advice ever. That's exactly what I would say is pour into your own cup first and let that overflow, give the overflow to the rest because you've got to fill that cup or else you're going to be useless to everybody else around you. Yeah. It sounds like a cliche, but it's really necessary and important. And the other thing I want to say is what you do now in your thirties and forties is going to determine how you feel in your fifties and sixties and seventies and beyond. All right. Now I promise you that. And the habits that you create now are the habits that you will have for a lifetime. So if you want good self-care practices and habits, when you're in your fifties and sixties, you need to create them now. Yes. It it takes time. You know, it takes time. Real life said, I've had to build on this. We've had to build on this. There was a time even when Q has, was in a corporate setting and wasn't happy. And she knew she needed to make herself happy. I knew I knew I needed to make myself happy. We knew we needed to put ourselves first. So we had to do it and it took time. And now I respect Q because she's been doing it for so long that she's, it's just, it's a natural thing. And it's a beautiful thing to look up to and watch because now I can aspire to do, you know, how she does. I mean, this woman eats healthy every single day. She posts this stuff on her Facebook page (laughs) all the time. And she, she prays, she meditates, she does Reiki. She takes great, amazing care of the people around her because she takes care of herself. Even when she was caring for her mother, for her family, Q, you've always taken such good care of yourself because if you didn't take care of yourself, you wouldn't have been able to take care of your mom, period. Yeah, so very true. you are an amazing woman and I look up to you as a healer myself and just the way you've just taken great care of yourself from the Thank food you. you put into your body to the thoughts that you tell yourself to the, you know, just the way you, and, and you're so much fun too. You will get on a surfboard <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> I love that about you. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, I've had really great teachers. My mom was probably the best one. She was a wonderful example of putting yourself first. She was a single mother, working woman, raising a child alone and literally alone because my dad was not involved in raising me at all. Even though he was there, he was around, he just wasn't involved. And she was good at asking for help, which is another thing. Ask for help. She was very good at asking for help. And she was very good at creating a village with her family, her sister, her parents and friends for helping her to raise me. And she took care of herself. I was just telling someone yesterday, because we went to Seattle for the weekend and um, to visit our daughter. And 
someone was asking me yesterday, they were like, you know, when's the last time you've been on a vacation before? Because we went to Hawaii earlier this year and we were saying, you know, we went to Hawaii and it was like, well, when's the last time? When's, you, when's the last time you went on vacation before that? I was like, um, never. <laughs> Actually, it was 2000. I think my daughter and I went to Spain in 2000. That was my last trip. And I said, you know, it's funny. And they were saying, well, you know, my parents used to travel all the time. And I was like, yeah, my mom traveled all the time too, but she never took me. Mm -hmm. My mom used to go to the Caribbean every year. She was at a different oh, wow. island. She went to Aruba, Jamaica, Trinidad, St. Croix, St. Kitts. <laughs> she, she went everywhere. And every single year when she was preparing to go, I'd be like, so are, am I going to go this year? She's like, no, it's a vacation. <laughs> it does and not so, include you. <laughs> does not include any children. It's only no. adults. And so every year she took a vacation for herself for two weeks. She would be gone. And I'd stay with my dad or my grandparents. But she was a really good example, role model of taking care of yourself. And so, you know, when I was taking care of her, I always remembered that it's like, and she took care of her parents. So, you know, I watched how she did that. And, and that's part of why I say that, you know, your children see what you do and they, they mimic that. And they, I took care of my mom because I knew she took care of her parents. I watched her do it mm -hmm. and I knew how to do it. And I knew how to do it in a way that didn't devastate me and leave me crippled and sick when, at right. the end. Broken, so, right. Absolutely. Exactly. So yeah, self-care is so, so, so important. And self-vacations. And self-vacations. <laughs> you know, anywhere I do you want to go. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Keila, it's been fantastic having you on. I'm so glad. So educational. I know the people that are asked the questions about Reiki are going to be well, very well informed by just your energy and just the way you speak is just so beautiful. I just love listening to you. So, oh my gosh, so, so funny. Just so great. Oh my God. I love listening so to you too. And I love talking with you because you're awesome. Oh gosh, we can talk for days. Can I'm we? so I excited you. about Citizens for Life. You just don't know. Oh, thank you so much. Like my babies are blooming. They're, they're, yes, they're growing up yes. and leaving home. <laughs> I love you so in the much. world. <laughs> but I do miss you. I miss your presence. I know we I see each too. other through Facebook, but I do miss you. So so for those that are listening and they want to reach out to you, please, uh, she's got her, her website. It's Q-I-T-O-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com. I'm going to put it in the show notes as well. She does have her Reiki classes that she does teach in, on Zoom that's going to start up in January if you're interested. And she she's continuously doing that as well. And then she's also got other things she's working on. So please check her out. Follow her. Do you know your Facebook handle? Uh, I don't really use my Facebook account that much, oh, sorry. But, it, but, but it's, but it's facebook.com slash keto wellness, Q-I-T-O-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S. And then Instagram is where I'm more active. And Instagram is uh, keto wellness and also womb doula, W-O-M-B-D-O-U-L-A. I'm writing that down. Awesome. Q to wellness and womb doula. Awesome. Key to wellness Yay. and womb doula. And if you see me, if you see, I also have a, this is Akila Instagram account, but that's really for friends. So if you see it and you try to friend me and I don't respond, it's because I only respond to people that I know. So key to wellness and womb doula are for like my businesses and sure. people that I'm getting to know. There you go. And then we can add on to you later. Just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love you so much. It's been a pleasure. Mwah, 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 mwah. Thank oh, you so much. You and too. then we, and listen, I have to have you back on because of the, the whole blood and the, all that research that you're doing. Amazing. I just can't believe we had that kind of synchronicity there where it all kind yeah. of worked out. Love you too, Anya. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. 
Hi, citizens. I hope that episode was helpful and got you excited and curious enough to go explore more into your own healing. For guest bio info and details, please visit my website at anyahildreth.com. If you enjoyed the content, please do me a favor and go follow me on IG at Anya Hildreth Life Coaching and leave a review by DMing me what you thought and rate this podcast so it can help me grow. Also, for more free tools to help you along your healing journey, go check out my Linktree website on my Instagram at Anya Hildreth Life Coaching and check out the website at www.anyahildreth.com for more guest bio info. Stay tuned for the next episode.